podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25, for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. How are we all? Are you as well? Because you're looking well. I don't know why, but I'm actually in really good form today, which is unusual for me. I think I might be ill. Uh, today is Friday. It is the 10th of November. And I am unusually chipper, given that my team were garbage last night. Uh, we will start, obviously, with the Europa League and the Conference League, and we'll do some news. We'll have a look at some gossip. We'll throw to a break. We'll come back from a break, and we'll bring in young Guy Drinkle. And we will have a a go at getting all the predictions wrong this week, which is, you know. Uh, right, so Europa League last night. We, uh, we'll start with Group A. We, we'll leave Liverpool till they actually come up. Uh, Freiburg 5, TSC, back at Topola, nil. Great win for Freiburg. Uh, keeps them in a strong position in this group. 
Roll Eggiston, someone whose name I can't pronounce, Adamu, and Doan with the goals for Freiburg. West Ham won, Olympiacos nil in the same group. Lucas Paqueta with the only goal of the game. So what that means is that West Ham are top, ahead of Freiburg. Both have nine points. West Ham have the head-to-head advantage. Olympiacos are third, and at the bottom of the group is back at Tupola, where I think we all expected them to be at the start. What this means is that West Ham, should they win their next game, which is away to back at Tupola, they will be guaranteed of a spot in the next round. And if Freiburg managed to get a draw with Olympiacos, they will also be guaranteed of a spot in the next round. In Group B, I was wrong. A. K. Athens did not beat Marseille last night. Marseille win 2-0. Chancel Mbemba, who seems to have been around for about 27 years, and I'm not... I'm not really sure how on earth he's only 29 years of age because he signed for Newcastle in like 1994. Uh, he scores the first and Ishmael Assar, formerly of Watford, gets the second in a 2-0 win for Marseille. In the other game in that group, Ajax nil, Brighton and Hove Albion two. This game made me happy. I watched it this morning after I was rudely made the podcast at an unearthly hour by Carl Matchett. Ungodly hour? Unearth- ungodly hour. Ungodly hour. By Carl Matchett, who has a lot to answer for, let me tell you. Um, I, you. You know I used to go and watch Brighton. I had a season ticket when I lived in Hove. It was something more to do with your mates over weekend rather than something you actually enjoyed because they were awful. And the ground was dreadful. It wasn't even a football stadium. It was an athletics track. Um, It it was genuinely, you'd stand in the pissings of rain. You'd get soaked. The game would be awful. They'd normally lose, but you'd still have a good laugh. This was more a social thing than anything else. Um, But I never for one second thought that less than 15 years later, Brighton would be a top half team in the Premier League with a phenomenal stadium. Now the stadium, the new stadium was open before I, uh, I stopped going. I was at, went to a a handful of games there as well. But the fact that they're in the top half in the Premier League, which I never thought would happen. The fact that they're qualified for Europe through the league to the UEFA, the Europa League, UEFA Cup, I never thought would happen. And the fact that they last night went to Ajax. Now, I I get that Ajax are crap this season. I understand that. That's fine. I don't care. Ajax are Ajax. They're one of the great clubs in football. They are an institution of the game. And little plucky Brighton went there last night and smacked the arses of them. 2-0 didn't reflect how good Brighton were. Uh, Brighton did have some... Worrying injury stuff. Estupinen came on, got hurt, had to go off. Dunk got hurt. And obviously James Milner went off very early in the game, which is a positive thing. Uh, But anyway, Brighton are now up into second. So you've got Marseille top eight points. Brighton second, 
seven points, AEK on four points, and then Ajax on two points. Brighton go to Athens next, and a draw there will be a good result. A draw there will mean that they can advance by beating Marseille in the final game. Now, a win would be all the better. They play Marseille at home in the final game. Marseille, in all likelihood, will be through because they'll beat Ajax in the next game because Ajax are crap. But a draw for Brighton would be a solid result in the next round. It looks it looks good for Brighton to progress as it looks for West Ham to progress. So that's really good. I'm also not say, sure why I said progress rather than progress. Uh, but you'll have to excuse me. I'm a little... I, I don't know. I'm just... I'm happy today. I don't know why. It, it's an unusual feeling for me. Uh, in Group C, uh, Real Betis 4, Aris Limassol 0, and Rangers 2, Sparta Prague 1. So Real Betis are top, 9 points then, Rangers on 7, Sparta on 4, and Limassol on 3. In Group D, Atalanta 1, Sturmgratz 0, and Sporting 2, Rakow uh, 1. Two penalties from Pedro Concalves in that game. So Atalanta are top on 10 points. Uh, Sporting have seven. Sturmgratz have four. And Rakow have one. You would imagine Atalanta and Sporting will be the teams to progress. Uh, Atalanta, Sturmgratz in the final game might be the decider because I would expect sorry, Sporting Sturmgratz in the final game. I would expect Atalanta to beat Sporting next time out, and I'd expect Sturmgratz to beat Rakow. So it will, it, should, it likely will come down to Sporting at home to Sturmgratz. In the away game between the two sides, Sporting did win, so they have that advantage of the head-to-head right now, but it might not mean much if... On, it, well, it could mean a lot. If they lose... and. And um, Sturm win, then a draw would put Sporting through in that final game. Group E, uh, source of my embarrassment. Uh, Liverpool losing 3 2 away to Toulouse. Uh, Donham put Toulouse 1 up. Dalinga made it 2. A Kasseri's own goal got Liverpool back into it. Then they decided they just couldn't be arsed defending. Well, Trent decided he couldn't be arsed defending. And Magri scored on 76. Diogo Jota got one back, and then Liverpool were robbed. Like, let's be honest here, Liverpool were robbed by a really, really poor um, decision by the VAR, who didn't seem to know the rules. Uh, Number one, the ball hit the body, then the arm, therefore not an intentional handball, uh, so play the game. Number two, it wasn't the direct phase of the goal. It was multiple phases before that, so also, therefore, play the game. Uh, referee was right to give the goal. He didn't see it, and he did, Alexis didn't score or assist the goal, so therefore it's irrelevant if it hit his arm. Um, really, really poor officiating. The referee was an absolute clown show the whole game, decided that people were there to see him and not the players. Uh, but Toulouse deserved to win. Now, don't let that distract from the fact that Liverpool didn't deserve anything from this game. Toulouse deserved to win this game. From about 30 minutes in, until about, well, about 75 when Liverpool's first goal went in. 
they were by far the better team. They were by far the better team up until about the 80th minute. At that point, it was 3-1. And they were good value for 3-1. So congrats to them. Uh, Last three, Union St. Gillowat, nil. So Liverpool top. Adding to the annoyance is that if Liverpool had won, they would be guaranteed top spot. Uh, Toulouse second on seven points. Union next on four and last on three. So still all to play for as we head into the final two rounds. Liverpool should beat Lask at home. But if Toulouse beat Union, Liverpool will still need a result, a draw will do, in their final game against Union to be certain of top spot. So rather than having the ability to just take those two games off, now they have to play it out. Morons. Anyway, moving on to Group F, we had Ren 3, Panikonaitos 1. And Maccabee Haifa won Villarreal 2. Uh, Villarreal, two latest goals, both in the last 10 minutes, to sneak the win there. Game played in Cyprus in front of no people, um, which I didn't think was right. I mean, let the local people in at least. You know, just open the gates and let them in. What are you doing? Uh, Ren top nine points, Villarreal six, Panikonaitos four. Maccabee Haifa won. On to Group G. Um, pretty big upset, I would say. As Slavia Prague beat Roma 2-0. Uh, Servette beat Sheriff 2-1, coming from behind to get the victory there. Again, two late goals in that one. So Slavia are top on nine points. Rangers sit second, also nine points. Then Servette on four and Sheriff on one. A draw for Roma in against Servette in Geneva should be it will be enough to send them through. But I reckon Mourinho wants to top the group, so they're probably going to have to play it out and try and win both games and hope that Slavia drop points either away to Sheriff or at home to Servette. Uh, group H then, our final group in this competition. Victor Boniface with a 94th minute penalty gives Bayer Leverkusen the 1 0 win over Quarabeg. And Molda beat Hacken three goals to one. So Leverkusen top, Quarabeg and Molda on six points each. Uh, Quarabeg have the superior head-to-head record, but those sides will play each other in the next round. And then Hacken are eliminated, or as good as eliminated. They would need to win both games and hope that Molda lose both games and that there's very heavy goal difference swings. So Hacken, for all intents and purposes, out. And they face Leverkusen at home next, so they're probably getting pumped. They got pumped 4-0 in Leverkusen in the opening game. Uh, So that is where we stand in the Europa League. All three English teams looked like they'll progress, which is good. We may get Manchester United and or Newcastle dropping in from the... Champions League, because both of them are in tough spots. Now, I have a feeling United might finish bottom. Toon, I think, could get third. But again, they could finish bottom. It wouldn't be a surprise. They got a really tough group, in fairness. And they've been absolutely massacred by injuries. But both of them could drop in. So we might end up with five teams in the Europa League after uh, the group stage break into the, the knockout phases. Uh, which would be a lot of fun. Um, Conference League, then. 
we will start, obviously, with Group A, because that seems like the logical place to start. Slovan Bratislava 1, Lille 1. Uh, Lublana 2, my Pharaoh friends nil. So, Lille are top on 8 points, Slovan second on 7, the Pharaohs next on 4, and Olympia, Olympia, uh, bottom on f- three points, but not out of the, not out of the mix just yet. Now, obviously, there's nowhere to drop after this, so it is just the top two that are really relevant. Uh, group B, Braublik two, Ghent three, Victor Urban, Gift Urban, Victor Urban, Gift Urban, with a hat trick. Someone is coming to nab him quite soon. That kid is so talented. He's had some, he's had a strange path because obviously born in Nigeria, finds his way to Norway, plays for Steibach, plays one season, 19 goals in 24 games. Last season, he was just electric. Only played 22 games um, for Ghent, but scored 20 goals. Just a machine in front of goal. This season, doesn't really seem to be uh, letting up on, well, a little bit letting up on the pace. He's got 11 goals in 19 games. Now, last night did boost that a little. He had eight, eight and 18 was a bit of a drop off, but he's he's just electric and he's so much fun to watch. And somebody is going to nab him and find themselves with an outstanding prospect. I would love it to be Leverkusen. So I'd love to see him and Boniface play together for club. And country now for country, there's obviously the Osman uh, factor where he's the best striker that Nigeria have. But it would be a lot of fun to put, see Boniface and and Gift Urban play together. Um, Zori Lahansk one, Maccabee Tel Aviv three. So Ghent top ten points, Maccabee six points, Zori Lahansk four. And Briarbleck with no points. I do hope they get a point. Be be very disheartening to go through your group with no points, wouldn't it? Um, group C: Astana nil, Balkani nil, Victor Plism, Victoria Plism one, Dinamo Zag- Zagreb nil. A penalty in the thirty fifth minute from Chori. Victor Victoria Plism are top. Astana second on four points. Plism are guaranteed uh, their spot as group winners. 12 points. Then Astana and Balkani have four, and Zagreb are bottom on three. In Group D, Besiktas one, Bodo Glimt two, and Club Bruges two, Lugano nil. Club Bruges are top, 10 points. Bodo Glimt are next on seven, and Lugano are on four. Uh, Club Bruges are through. It's just a matter of whether they top the group or not. Besiktas are out. Very, very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Only one point taken from their four games. And that they've got some good players in that team. So I'm not really sure how it's been such a poor campaign for them. Um, in the league, they're only fifth. They're 12 points behind Galatasaray, 11 behind Fenerbahce. I'm not really sure how they've had such a bad start because you know to me I look at their squad and I, I see some 
really good players there. Omar Colley is there. Antti Rebic is there. Milot Rashika, Daniel Amarty, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, John Onana, who's a very good player. There's a really, really good group there. Now, I don't know much about a lot of the Turkish players. So I, don't, I couldn't tell you how good they are or how bad they are. I mean, Cenk Tusin is there, so that's not great. Uh, Vincent de Bubakar is there, though, and he's a very good player. He is probably the past his best, admittedly. But it's a little bit surprising to me that they've been they've been as poor as they have been because they looked really good through the qualifying rounds. Um, maybe it was an easier run. I, I don't really know. Uh, in the league, it's just it's been a bit of a mixed batch. So six wins, a draw, and four defeats. They they don't seem to score enough goals, and they seem to concede too many. That seems to be the problem. When those two things happen, you're going to have some trouble. Uh, anyway, moving on to Group E, Leisure Warsaw 2, Zorinski Mostar 0, and Aston Villa 2, AZ Alkmaar 1. AZ went 1-up. Pavlides, who's been linked with Brentford, scoring the goal. Uh, Diego Carlos equalised, and Ollie Watkins got the winner for Villa in the 81st minute. So, Legia are top on nine points. Villa second on nine points. Zrinski on three and AZ on three. Uh, the next game is Villa home to Legia Warsaw. That will probably decide who wins the group. Um, Legia beat Villa 3-2 in the first game in Warsaw. So Villa will be looking for some revenge here. Uh, moving on to Group F. Ferenc Varos won Genk one. And Kukuriki nil, Fiorentina won. So Fiorentina are top on eight points. Ferenc Varos and Genk on six. And Kukuriki have no points. In Group G, PAOK two, Aberdeen two. Great result for Aberdeen away from home. They went one up, fell two one behind, and then managed to get back into it and get their draw. Unfortunately for them, it's going to be too little too late. But look, a point is a point. Uh, HJK nil, Eintracht Frankfurt won. POK are top on 10 points. Eintracht next on nine. Aberdeen two, HJK one. Aberdeen now, it's just about trying not to finish bottom. They play in Helsinki next. If they can get a draw, that will probably guarantee they don't finish bottom of the group. Uh, last group then is Group H. Nordelsjand won, Spartak Panava won. Ludogorets 2, Fenerbahce nil. Very disappointing result for Fenerbahce, who are still top of that group with nine points. Nordelsjand now with seven, Ludogorets with six, and Spartak Tanava are eliminated with one point. Moving on to news, Ange Postacoglu has become the first manager to begin his career in England with a hat-trick of Premier League Manager of the Month awards. He's also the first manager to claim three monthly awards from the start of any Premier League season. Now, Spurs had a fairly easy month. They beat Luton, Fulham and Crystal Palace. Their defeat to Chelsea, remember, came in November, so it's not relevant. He won't be winning it for November, though. Let's just be clear on that. Um, Only Antonio Conte, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp had previously won the award in three consecutive months. For Conte, it would have to be 16-17. For Klopp, I would imagine it's 19-20. 
Guardiola, it could be any time because he's been so dominant. Um, bad news for Spurs, though. James Madison has been ruled out until January with an ankle injury. He's been withdrawn from the England squad. The injury picked up in the comical 4-1 defeat by Chelsea on Monday. Um, huge blow. Huge, huge blow. And obviously, Mickey van de Ven also out for a prolonged period. Um, Ange said, Madison is a lot worse than we thought. He came off with an ankle injury and the next day wasn't great, so we sent him for a scan. So, yeah, he's been ruled out for a couple of months. Um, They've also just recently lost Richarlison. He's had an operation on a groin injury. And Romero and Destiny Adoiju will be suspended. So, not not a great outcome. You know, you get pumped 4-1 at home by a not very good team. You give up a hat-trick to a player who's, well, he's not very good uh, at this point. I'm sure he will be a good player. I think he's got, I should say, he's a good player. He's not a good, he's not a good number nine. Um, yeah, you lose 4-1, he gets a hat-trick and you lose two players to suspension and two to long-ish term injuries. That's not ideal at all. Uh, Sir Jim Radcliffe's minority stake in Manchester United is close to being agreed. It is expected to be agreed during the international break, possibly as early as next week. Ineos will pay $1.25 billion to buy 25% of the club. The Glazers will remain the majority owners, but Ineos will take over sporting control of the club. So we will see how that works out for them. Um, the Sheikh Jassim nonsense obviously has gone away. Uh, how real any of that ever was, we don't know. Because like that guy didn't have anywhere close to that level of personal wealth. So I'm not sure where that money was coming from. Well, we can guess where that money was coming from. But um, it was always a bit weird, wasn't it? It was always a, a little bit weird. Uh, Marcus Rashford's brother, Dane, is facing assault charges in the United States of America. A police report said Rashford, who's 31, had been traveling in the back of an Uber with a woman after visiting a Miami nightclub on the 20th of October. It noted the victim claimed she was punched twice in the face. The case is listed for a hearing on the 27th of November. In the police report, which has been seen by the BBC, an officer describes making contact with the victim in the early hours of the morning after being called to a four-star hotel on Miami Beach. No no five-star, Dane? You're not, not making that type of cash? The brother won't lend you the cash? No? I'm just joking, of course. Uh, the report set out details of the allegations and describes Dane Rashford as being irate and kicking a, clo- a closet door, causing visible damage. Well, that's not good either. Uh, officers took statements from the victim, Mr. Rashford, and his sister before taking Mr. Rashford into custody and later charging him with battery. Miami Beach Fire and Rescue, Fire and Rescue, Fire and Rescue was also called to the hotel to treat the victim's injuries. I assume because most of the ambulance services are kind of work out of the fire station, so it would have been the paramedics that came, not not firemen. Uh, Daisy Vega Mendez, the assistant state prosecutor for Miami-Dade County, 
told the Telegraph, the case is still active. At the moment, I haven't been able to get hold of the victim. At the moment, the case is still active and listed for arraignment on the 27th of November. Um, Perchance a bad egg is young Dane, uh, which isn't ideal for his brother, who is obviously one of the more likable players in world football. Moving on, though, Nathan Tello, uh, now of Bayer Leverkusen, um, has been named in the Norway, the Norway, the Nigeria squad for their next World Cup qualifiers. Born in England, but eligible for Nigeria through his parents. I am so happy to see him decide to play for Nigeria. He's a very, very good player. And that Nigeria squad is a lot of fun. Goalkeepers, mixed bag. Defenders, mixed bag. Some decent ones in there, but largely mixed bag. Midfield, pretty good. Onyeka, Iwobi, Aribo's okay. Onya Dick is good. The attack is loaded. Ianacho, Sadiq Umar, Moses Simon, Adamola Luckman, Nathan Tala, Teo Wani, Terran Moffey, Victor Boniface, Gift Urban hasn't even been called up. I don't know if he's not willing to play yet or what the crack is because he hasn't played at any age for Nigeria. Um, but Victor Osman's not not in it because he's he's currently out with an injury. Uh, but this squad is like the, the attack is just ridiculous. They're absolutely loaded with attacking talent. A lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, good contract news for Crystal Palace. Ebrichi Ezi has signed a new three and a half year deal worth in the region of a hundred grand a week. I am delighted to see him make this decision to sign and stay there um, and continue his development. I do think he'll be out the door within 18 months because there's probably a buyout in that contract. But at the same time, I think it's a big statement from Palace that they're paying significant wages to a player that they signed from the championship and that they've developed and that they've helped through a really bad injury, obviously, with the ruptured Achilles. He's come back and he just looks, he looks an absolute delight, doesn't he? He's brilliant. Abriciazzi is a brilliant footballer. Um, he's obviously at 25, kind of reaching his peak. He has recently been capped by England, which is a bit of a shame. I was hoping he'd play for Nigeria just because imagine his playmaking behind all those attacking options. But he's made the decision to play for England and, and so be it. Um, he has trained with the Nigerian team in the past, actually. He played in a World Cup qualifier against Malta, and then he played against Scotland. Uh, so the Malta game, because it's an official World Cup qualifier rather than just a friendly, rules him out of any future involvement with Nigeria. But look, he's made his decision, and I'm sure he's very happy with his decision. Uh, anything Palace can do, their biggest rivals, Brighton, will feel they can do better. And Brighton have protected the future of young Ford Evan Ferguson by extending his contract until 2029. He has 15 goals in 43 senior games, which is impressive at only 19. And uh, 
I think this is great news. Uh, I think him staying there, continuing to develop, it's the best environment for him. Matoma signed up long-term, Enciso signed long-term, Jai Pedro signed long-term, Adingra signed long-term, Buenanote has signed long-term. That is a very special group of attacking talent. Obviously, Ansu Fadi's there at the moment. They don't own him. We'll see what happens. But that group of young attackers, Matoma's not young, but you know what I mean, the others. Uh, you've also got Kasper Kozlowski, who I still think is going to be a big player for them in, in time. You've got Beliba, who's a really impressive player. That's a that's a special group of attacking talent and, and midfield talent in Beliba and Kozlowski. So I'm hopeful that the future is bright is bright is bright for Brighton. Um yeah. Right, moving on to the gossip. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, and Newcastle could all have all of our contract proposals to Kylian Mbappe, who will enter the final six months of his contract in January. Um, they could, they probably won't though. I, I, he'll go to Real is my expectation. Tottenham will target a left side centre back in January after learning the extent of Mickey Van der Veen's injury with Lloyd Kelly of interest. He's, he's, okay. Uh, Van de Ven could be out until January at the earliest with the hamstring injury that forced him off. That is really, really hard luck for Spurs because it's going to be a lot of Eric Dyer. Hopefully Ben Davies can stay fit and they can just go Romero and, and Davies. I think that's better than anything involving Eric Dyer. Uh, Arsenal scouts watched Martin Zubamendi during, I love, I love these stories. Like Arsenal has been linked with him for, Two years now at this point. So it's a very easy column filler to say Arsenal watched him. And this is what the spoofers do. They take an existing rumour that's been confirmed by good journalists and then they come out with, oh, Arsenal scouted him in this game. Like, Arsenal don't need to scout him anymore. They've seen everything they need to know. You'd also be surprised to learn how rare it is for clubs to actually scout players in person these days. Um, so, you know, Arsenal are also interested in Douglas Louise, according to the spoofer with the catchphrase. Again, that's re- just regurgitation of an old rumor. Manchester United are set to make Porto an offer for Medi Taremi. I like the idea of that. I do. I have to say, I like the idea of that. Uh, Rafa Varane has been linked with the Saudi Pro League, but Eric Ten Hag wants to keep him at Old Trafford. Liverpool and Chelsea must wait until summer if they are to sign Florian Verts. Makes sense. Leverkusen are going so well at the moment. Juventus have met with the representatives of Calvin Phillips, who's open to move to Syria. It'd be a good move for him. Arsenal beat competition from Tottenham, Bayern Munich, Chelsea and Manchester United to sign David Rea on loan, according to the player's agent. This is a lie. Uh, Tottenham signed Vicario well in advance of Rea going anywhere. Now, Bayern might have liked him. So there's definitely the possibility that that's true. Uh, Chelsea never showed any interest in him. They seemed locked in on Sanchez from quite early in the summer. And United, the only keeper they were ever interested in was Onana. So that is... Now, maybe they looked at Riot when it looked like Onana might not happen, but 
Arsenal didn't beat competition from that group. Maybe Bayern, but that's about it. The Gunners could look to bring in a midfielder in January with Thomas Partey set to be out for the rest of 2023. But if he's out for the rest of 2023, that means he's back in 2024. So signing a midfielder in January doesn't really help with that, does it? Aston Villa and Southampton are monitoring Derby County's 18-year-old Northern Irish midfielder, Darren Robinson. Darren Robinson does look like a really, really talented player. Derby's done brilliantly in recent years with their academy and with their youth scouting. He'll be a Northern Ireland full international before long, which is a shame because, you know, you're born on the island, son. You, you, you could come south and uh, and play for the play for the national team, but, you know, it is what it is. So Jim Radcliffe hopes to complete his purchase of Manchester United within days. United currently have no plans to replace Eric Ten Hag. Good, good news. Amazon are weighing up a bid for the Premier League broadcast rights, which, rights, which could threaten the dominance of Sky and TNT Sports with the tender process for four years from the 25-26 season scheduled to be completed by the end of 2023. I'm excited to see how the uh, rights break down. Uh, one bit of gossip that's not in the gossip today is Liverpool have been linked with Archie Gray, according to Matt Hughes, who I believe works for the Mail now. Um, count me all the way in on the possibility of that and also sign his brother as well because he's meant to be similarly gifted. And that is it. That's the gossip. So we'll go to break. We'll come back. We'll bring in Guy Drinkle and uh, we'll go through the games. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So as always on a Friday, we're joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? A bit nippy. A bit nippy. That would be the way in winter where you live in the, the great cold north. Yeah, it's too early, though. Just, you get used to it by about lunchtime, but it's too early. <laughs> right, we have a full slate of Premier League games before the real football is taken away from us again to allow another poxy international break. So we've no Friday night and no Monday football. So I am outraged here. It's all crammed in to Saturday, Sunday, and it's five games on each day, which is just a madness. But then with the amount of teams in the Europa League and the Conference League, it is sort of necessary. So where do we start? It's not the best weekend of football, mind. <laughs> so it might no. be a good thing. Um, but we do start with the half twelve kickoff, uh, which is Wolves against Tottenham. Dave uh, injuries everywhere? Question mark and and Pedro Nettles, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, and suspensions. I should should say. So Wolves, obviously, Joe Hodge, Hugo Bueno, and Pedro Neto out. And we'll see when Neto's back. He's hopeful he'll be back after the international break, but I, I would be surprised if he's back that quickly. Um, tough time for Spurs. No Perisic, no Solomon, no Sessegnon, no Madison, no Richarlison, no Whiteman, and no Van de Ven through injury. Destiny Adoiji suspended. He'll miss this game. And then Christian Romero suspended, and he'll miss three games, uh, which is massive. So losing both starting centre-backs who've been so good for them this this season means that it's Eric Dyer plus one, 
Um, I'm guessing they're hopeful that Ben Davies is back so that he can start at left back. And I guess it'll be Emerson Royale play centre back next to Eric Dyer, which I mean, it's not ideal. I said it in the summer, they needed to address their depth at centre back as well as bringing in Van de Ven. They needed another one. They didn't do it. Now they're, I think they're going to pay for it a little bit. But Wolves not having Neto is massive because he's been incredible this season. But Matthias Cunha against Eric Dyer is not one that will go in Spurs' favour. I do think they have enough to win the game. My expectation is that Lacelso comes in for Madison so that at least the midfield and attack stays functioning in a similar way. But Madison's been brilliant and Lacelso has not worked at Spurs thus far. But he is a good player. I'm going to pick a Spurs win, but I think it's purely down to, I think their midfield and attack is good enough to outscore Wolves, who without Neto are not the same level of threat. So I'm going to go, I'll go 2-1 to, to Spurs. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with the defensive. Maybe they'll drop Basuma back or Saar back or something because obviously Benton Kerr's back and Skip's an option. So Yeah, true. Might rejig something there. I am looking forward to the potential Papi Matar-Saar versus Bubakar Triore battle in midfield. Those two were together at Mets. Um, I really want to see them go head-to-head because I think it's a really good measuring stick for both of them as to where they are right now. Saar has been excellent this season. I've been really impressed by Triore, but he doesn't hasn't played a huge amount. Um, so hopefully we get to see that. Spurs need Spurs just need to control this game as much as they can and, and limit how much defending they have to do. If if Wolves are forced to go long, which they might be without Neto, Eric Dyer will be okay. If they have movement and speed and play the ball on the floor. That's where Spurs are going to have trouble. But I still think they've got enough going forward to beat Wolves. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Um, If they had Neto, very much different story. But we'll move on to the three o'clock kickoffs. Um, Arsenal against Burnley, Dave. Arsenal's home record's very good. And Burnley continue to not care what the Premier League is and how different it is to the Championship. I... Burnley are one of the clubs to just keep an eye on over the international break because it wouldn't surprise me if there's a change there. This weekend, um, Obafemi's a doubt, Al is a doubt, Josh Cullen is back, Lyle Foster's out, and Aaron Ramsey is out. Arsenal have a lot of injury issues at the moment. No Partey, no Gabriel Jesus, no Emile Smith-Rowe, who just cannot stay fit. Uh, Odegaard is a doubt. And Ketia is a doubt. Saka is a doubt. Tomiyasu is a major doubt. And Julian Timber obviously out long term with the ACL injury. Arsenal at home. Now, to be fair, it doesn't really matter because Burnley have lost every game at home so far this season. Their only win came away to Luton. Um. I'm going to just pick an Arsenal win because it just seems like the logical thing to do here. They're a much better team than Burnley. Mm -hmm. They're at home. We'll go with an Arsenal win. We'll go 3-1. 
Yeah, we'll go 3-1. Yep, not the most interesting game, that one. Good. Uh, maybe not this next one is either. Uh, Palace against Everton. Dave, I suppose the only interesting thing is that Everton sprung a couple good performances and results recently. And Palace, I'm going to look at the standings and I'm going to guess they're our 11th to 13th. They are 11th. Them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, special. Yeah, he, he's, he's set it up perfectly. Um, I mean, draw, handshake? It, it does. It does smell of a draw, doesn't it? Like there's a, a bit, yeah. there's a waft of like agriculture in the air. Um, Palace injury wise, Elise still out. They're hopeful after international break. Tompkins is out. Raksaki is out, and Henderson is out. For Everton, Deli Ali, Andre Gomes. Seamus Coleman likely to miss out. Uh, they have had uh, a few little worries, though. Onana's a slight doubt. Decoury's a slight doubt. And Branthwaite is a slight doubt. So they can't really afford to be without two of those three because My defensively, Branthwaite has been so good <laughs> for them. And Onana's their best player. Um, and Decoury's really important with his ability to run Mm-hmm. very, very powerfully from midfield into the final third. I, it does smell of a draw. I'm just going to go the draw. There's no point in overthinking it. It's 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 a gammon fest. We'll go 1-1. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I don't think many people will enjoy their experience watching this game. The only hope is that Eberichi Eze is even further along in his recovery and he can influence a game of football breaking out at some point. Mm. And maybe that's where Palace get some opportunities. Um, but I think both Roy and Sean Dyche would be very happy to to take the draw. Everton are in decent form at the moment, seven points from the last four games. Uh, Palace only four points from the last four games. So the ever in better form, but Palace are at home. So yeah, we'll go 1-1. Yep, one to avoid there, I reckon. Um, God, it's not a great set of three o'clock kickoffs, is it? Jesus. Um, next up, we have Man United against Luton, Dave. Uh, I mean, it's a week, like, obviously, you'd back United. Maybe not. Obviously, is probably too strong a word there. Luton obviously got the big draw last weekend against Liverpool, albeit Liverpool should have scored a lot more in that game, but yeah. there's stuff to take from that game for Luton. And if they step up like they did against Liverpool at times, they'll obviously try and do that against Man United as well, because two well, two biggest clubs in the country. So a slight asterisk there, but at Old Trafford football though. It's weird. United haven't been good at home this season, which is so weird. They've actually no, they've been flat out terrible at home this season, which is really weird because they were really good at home last season. They got top four primarily based on their home form. Um, the big blow for Luton is that Lissandra Martinez is out of this game because they love a long ball and he's very, very poor in the air because he's like five foot three. So slab head for all his flaws is good in the air if you pump the ball in on top of him. Uh, no Casemiro, no Martinez, no Malashia, no Luke Shaw. Uh, Jaden Sancho still hasn't said sorry, so the manager's still all up in his feelings. 
Johnny Evans is probably going to miss out having been taken off quite early in the Copenhagen game. And Ahmed Diallo is ruled out as well. So United are going to have a little bit of bare bones. Uh, Luton, no Mads Mads Anderson, no Dan Potts, no Reese Burke, no Luke Berry, no Laconga, and no Amari Bell. Um, Bell is a bit of a blow. He might be, but he might be back, but it's, it's, it's unlikely. Lekong is the big blow for them there because he, I think, would be a, a definite first-choice player. Um, They did get a good result against Liverpool, but they got it because Liverpool missed a bunch of chances. Now, United are definitely capable of missing a bun- bunch of chances, but it's United and they'll find a way to win because if you look at how they've gone about this season, they have found good fortune or they've just beaten the newly promoted sides by a single goal. So I'm going to say they beat Luton by a single goal. We'll go 2-1. So it's one all going into the 90th minute, and then something stupid happens. Yeah, and then Bruno, Bruno takes a free kick that clips someone's head and goes to the other side of the goal to where he was aiming it, and the keeper's wrong-footed, and it goes in. Absolutely. Something something silly. Yeah. Uh, moving on to half five, then. Bournemouth against Newcastle, Dave. Um... God, Bournemouth, what a weird club. Um, last week, uh, Doku just took the mick out of them. Um, Newcastle obviously got a million injuries, so it makes it more of an interesting fixture. But, I mean, if Newcastle's attack even clicks, like Gordon's improving, Wilson's still good, um, Albaron was the best player in the world for a little bit last season. Um it, I think it's a, it, it could be a good game if Bournemouth turn up, but if they don't, I think Newcastle could tonk them again like City did. That's definitely in play. It's definitely in play, but Newcastle are going to be the definition of bare bones this weekend. So, Tonali is suspended. Murphy is out until late January. Dan Byrne is out until January. Harvey Barnes is out until January. Elliot Anderson's probably out till January. Sven Botman, they don't expect back for another month. Gamerish is suspended. Isak is injured. Wilson is a doubt. Mankio is out. And Matt Target is out. So their first two left backs are gone. So Lewis Hall, either Lewis Hall or Livermento will start there. Or Trippier. Or Trippier with Livermento at right yeah. back. Yeah. Um, their best centre back is out, and their second, the, their kind of best backup for him would have been Dan Byrne, but he's out. So it'll be Lachelle's again, and he, he doesn't fill me with confidence. Sharon, and the problem for Sharon is he's starting to look a little bit wobbly himself because he doesn't have Botman there anymore. So if we, if we consider Livermento. Char, Lachelles and Trippier say as a back three a back four rather in midfield then I'm guessing Lewis Hall will have to play in midfield so Willock Longstaff and Hall and then up front did you say Joe Linton was out? I think think he'll play but I think he'll play up front right 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 so I think up front they'll probably go Almiron Joe Linton and Gordon as a front three, because they don't really have anyone else. Now, the issue with Callum Wilson here is 
even if he's past fit to play, do you really want to risk playing him and him end up getting a proper injury and being out for three months, as is the way with Callum Wilson? Mm. So I think they've kind of got to play Jolington in the front three, whether that's through the middle or on the left. Yeah, maybe Gordon plays, played up front a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, Gordon goes through the middle. So maybe that's what they do. But I think Jolington will be in the front three. I think Hall will be in the midfield three. They're very, and I, I can't wait to see what their bench looks like. Because even if Wilson's fit and let's say Jolington can drop back into midfield and Hall is on the bench, who else is on the bench with him? There's there's not a whole lot left. They'll have Emil Kraft. They'll have Dubravka. And our Karius was on the bench as well, so it'll be two goalkeepers. Two goalkeepers, let's see. Uh, Lewis, is, My, is it Lewis Miley? I know they're highly thought of, I think. Lewis Miley will probably be there. Uh, we've gone through all of I mean, could it be four goalkeepers? Could Mark Gillespie get the call? Um, Matt Ritchie probably be on the bench. Yeah. So you're looking at Dubravka, Domus, Ritchie, Kraft, Karius, and Miley. That's kind of it, unless he wants to put a fourth goalkeeper on, or a third sub-goalkeeper on. That's their squad. Mm. There's going to be some academy players on that bench. There's going to have to be some academy players on the bench. Now, I don't know, outside of Miley, who's highly rated and who's not. Is that Australian kid there, or is he out on loan? Uh, the one who was at the World Cup. The no, he's he's definitely on loan. Mm. Um, where is he on loan? He's on loan at Volendam, Volendam in the Netherlands. Right. And so is uh, Yankuba Minta. He's at Feyenoord. They might end up having to recall some of these. Like... They could put Cahill Heffernan on the bench, the young Irish kid they signed from AC Milan in the summer. But he's another defender, and you've already got Dummett and... Suppose Richie could play left-back. Richie could play left-back. It's 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 Kraft is obviously a, a defender. It's grim, because of that bench that I named, I think I'm right in saying only Lewis Miley's a midfielder. But there's no attacker on there. Mm. Like, there's no attacker there. So it is very much bare bones. One injury could really torpedo Newcastle in this game. Um, but they're the one team looking forward to the international break, to be fair. Oh, 100%. They, they are chomping at the bit to get a couple of weeks away from having to play games. But even at that, so many of their injuries are longer term. Mm. like Murphy end of January, Byrne January, Barnes January, Anderson January, Botman mid-December, but that's a guess because they said they're, that it's unclear and they're kind of day-to-day with it. Isak and Gamerish they'll get back. Mankio and Target are long-term. It, it, like, it's tough for Newcastle at the moment. Now, the plus for them is that Bournemouth also have injuries. No Tyler Adams, uh, no Fredericks, no Marcondes. They they wouldn't be playing anyway. Uh, no Neto. Lewis Cook still suspended. 
And in really bad news, Alex Scott has picked up another injury. So it's not the same knee as the last injury. It's the other knee. But when a young player is having knee issues, that is a big concern. So hopefully that's nothing serious and he just misses like maybe this game and he's back after the break with a couple of weeks to rest. Um, The logical thing here is Newcastle to win and their starting 11 that we laid out should be good enough to win. So I'm going to say Newcastle win 2-1. But I do sneakily feel like this might be a game where Bournemouth pick up something. Mm. Yeah. And the thing, we have seen it with Bournemouth. We say every bloody Friday, if they click, they're very capable. Yeah. They're more than capable. Like, they've got good players. I I feel like the manager isn't fully going for it yet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like he's trying to be cautious and sensible. And unfortunately for him, in the position they're in, he can't really afford that. He needs to win games. So, you know, I look at, what they've done recently. Let's look at the last game where not the last game because they played City in them. Yeah. The the Bournemouth the, the Burnley game for for example, right? So Radu played in goal, that's fine. Aaron's Mefum, Zerbani, and Lloyd Kelly at left back. So Kirkez left out. A little bit more conservative defensive approach. Um Scott and Billing in midfield, that's fine. Christie. Tavernier, Semenyo instead of Oatara. Like, I really want to see Oatara and Sinistera as the wingers in this team. Because with Solanke as the nine, you're not going to get a huge amount of goals from him. But Oatara and Sinistera can get you potentially 10 to 15 goals a season each. And if Solanke can get you 10 to 15 goals in the season, then that's a 45 goal of... 30 to 45 goal attack that keeps you in the division. If those three could click together and I think they would because their skill sets should line up quite well. Then you go Scott billing. And when he's fitting or when he's available again, Lewis cook is kind of the sitting midfielder until Adams comes back. That just feels <clears throat> more like a team that's going to be capable of getting something done in this league. Semenyo works really hard and he's a good player and he did score against Burnley, but I he feels to me like someone that kind of gets you, he feels a little bit like a dirt cout. You know, he'll get you six to eight league goals a season. He'll work really hard, but he'll miss as many good chances as he'll take. And you can't really afford it when you're born with and you're not going to create huge amounts of chances because you're not going to have the ball for large swaths of the game. And I do like Tavernier. I think he's a good player. But again, he, I, he's sort of a scorer of great goals. Like He scores worldies. Doesn't score a lot, though. And I think he'd be better in a, in a squad role. Um, like if you had the front three I laid out, Oatara right, Solanke middle, Sinistera left, and then Tavernier back up right, Semenyo back up through the middle, and... Clivert back up left. That's a really strong six-man group. Do you know? And you've got David Brooks to use as well because he can play midfield or attack. That feels like a really strong, you know, a good mid-table Premier League attacking group. Defensively, I, I like the individuals. I'm not a huge Metham fan, 
Mm. But Aaron's is good. Zerbani's talented. Kelly's, when he's on, he's good, but he's inconsistent. He's a lot of links away, so he might be a bit. That's the thing. Is he is he fully committed? Like he's been linked to here, to here, there, and everywhere. I, I wonder how much of it is the agent. But he's been linked to a lot of other clubs. Is he is he already having his head turned? I mean, not that long ago he was the club captain. Yeah. You know, and now he's running down his contract. I, I would wonder about that. And like you did spend big money to bring in Milos Kirkes, and he is a better left back than Lloyd Kelly. Lloyd Kelly's ideal role is left side of a back three. He's kind of stuck between he's not really a centre back, he's not really a left back anymore. He's kind of in between. I wonder if even a you know, if they could go to a back three of let's just say Metham, Zabarni and Kelly with Aaron's and Kirkes as the the wing backs, and then you play Billing plus one in the centre midfield, and then you can play that front three. That might work because now you've got more players in positions that really suit them. You've got an extra body defensively, so you can be a bit more solid there. And then you're playing a front three that should give you more of an attacking threat than what we're seeing from them at the moment. I, I There is definitely a path for them to not only stay up, but to stay up comfortably. The fixtures let off a bit after this game as well, on paper at least. Yeah, from here... A little bit. They go Sheffield United away, Villa home. Villa don't travel brilliantly. Palace uh, United away where it's open season and, and teams are picking up points. Luton home, Forest away, Fulham home. That gets them to New Year's Eve when they play Spurs. But like that's a lot of there's a lot of favorable fixtures in there, a lot of points that can be taken. They can't afford to get they can't afford to let the likes of Everton and Fulham pull further away because if it's four teams for three spots, yes, you only need to finish above one team to stay up. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like they'd only need to stay say finish above Luton and they'll stay up. Mm-hmm. The other two I think are I think the other two are in serious trouble, but there's also that that view from all the other clubs. Well, if we can just finish above them, we're up, we're staying up. So they they need to be clawing back Everton. Now Everton might be clawed back if they get this points deduction anyway, but you know that you don't want to let a bigger gap open up. It's already five points to Everton, six to Fulham and Wolves. You can't afford that to be much bigger especially at this stage of the season. Six points at this point of the season is a lot. Yeah, it's not the it's not the prettiest picture, but hopefully for their, their sake it gets a bit better. Uh, but we'll move on to Sunday. Um, Villa against Fulham, Dave. I mean, Villa are just so good at home. It's the, it's the Unai Emery way. Um, I believe they won last night. Um, and Fulham... I mean, there's players there, but just very uninspiring, as we again say every bloody Friday. Yeah, I mean, they're they're one of the least interesting teams in the league to watch. Like, they're well-managed, and there's some good players there, but they're not not all that interesting. Uh, This weekend, no Issa Diop, but Tosin should be back, so that could be a big positive for them. Adama Traore, they're hoping he's back. Kenny Tete's back. 
and uh, Rodrigo Munez, who finally got his opportunity to be the starter and get his debut, and he got injured in his first game. And he played well. He had some really good moments against United, and then he got mm. injured. Um, Villa, no Mings, no Buendia. They're both done for the season. And Jacob Ramsey, they're hoping he's going to be back after the international break. Villa have been great at home. And you're right, it is the Unai Emery way. It's it's what he does. They did win last night. They beat A's at Alkmaar 2-1, uh, coming from behind to uh, to get the win there, which is big for them because it makes things a little bit more straightforward for them. Um, they're basically through from their group in the Conference League. I think they'll want to finish top rather than second and avoid that playoff round nonsense. Mm-hmm. But at least it's it's a kind of a weight off them. Um, I think they'll win this game. I just think they'll have too much for Fulham. The battle in midfield I'm looking forward to, Polini against Kamara, I think that's that's going to be quite interesting to watch. But Villa are pretty strong defensively. Now, they did have a bad outing against Forrest, but they could easily have gotten something from that game. Um the keeper oh, had to make Martinez going to make that error. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the keeper had to make a couple of good saves for Forrest as well. Um, and Villa had a lot of pressure in the game. They just couldn't create kind of open openings, um, which is a bit of an issue for them. Like, there's, uh, I know Diaby's doing quite well in terms of you know big chances created, but he's not he's not a creative passer. He kind of makes openings with his pace and his movement. Watkins is obviously a bit streaky. I just think they'll have too much for for Fulham. Um, I'll go 2-0 to Villa. Yep, I'd probably think something similar. Uh, moving on to Brighton against Sheffield United then, Dave. I mean, Sheffield off the back of the first win. Um, I mean, again, a million injuries. I mean, both teams have got a million injuries, to be fair. Um, if, if they were fully fit and... You could see them slightly, if they could frustrate Brighton, you could see a pathway because that's the way to get at Brighton. This catch them on the counter-attack, and we saw it against Wolves last week with mm. um, Archer's Worldie. Um, you could see that pathway, but I think Brighton's attack with a, an injury hit Sheffield United defence. I, I think Sheffield United might score even a couple, but I think they'll struggle to keep Brighton out, maybe down to at least like, even like three. Yeah, I feel like this could be one that that gets away from from Sheffield United. Now, Brighton got some some bad news last night in the Purvis Stupinan, who's just back from injury, came on and got injured again. Yeah, bloody hell. So he's out. James Milner got injured last night as well, so he's out. Some now that's a, that's a positive. <laughs> Lewis Dunk also got injured last night, and I kind of feel like that might be a good thing as well. Because he's been really poor this season. Um, and Cecil's still out. He's hopeful to be back around Christmas. Lamptey's out till after the international break. Motor's working his way back, playing within the 21. So fingers crossed he's back soon. Stupin and Milner and Dunk got hurt last night. Danny Welbeck and Solly March uh going to be out for a long time. That's all we know. They're out for a long time. So they are... They are missing a bunch of players, but this is an opportunity now for De Zerbi to move away from some of the, the older players. 
and commit to some of the young lads. Now he can I assume he'll put Pascal Grouse to left back. Um Veltman will play right back. And I would guess he goes Van Heck and and Igor, though I would go Webster and Igor. Unless Igor plays left back. Left yeah, Igor could play left back and Webster comes in centre back. That could be the way, you know, then you're playing four centre backs and you should be a bit more solid. Um I guess I, I would hope to. I want to see Beliba and Dahoud get a run together as the midfield pairing, and then in attack they've got a bunch of options: Joe Pedro, Matoma, Ansu Fati, Adingra, Evan Ferguson, Buenanote. That, that's really good options. Mm. Just Buenanote has not really had a chance to see. He hasn't. No, just don't play Adam Lallana. Just yeah. don't play him for a while. Let's just see what this young group of attackers can do because, like, talent-wise, it's as good as anyone in the league has. You know, you've got Evan Ferguson and Joe Pedro, two great number nine options. Pedro and Fatih has ten options. That's really good. Matoma, Adingra, and Buenanote as winger options. And this is obviously without having Enciso in, in, involved as well. Like, that is a mm. great group of attacking players. About as exciting as you'll find anywhere. But he tends to ruin it by insisting on playing Adam Lalana. Now, Fatih has scored in back-to-back games, I think, and is really starting to look good. So I'd like to see what what that looks like if maybe he plays right side and Pedro plays behind Ferguson with Matoma left side. Then you've got a Dingra and Buenanote off the bench because it's probably the top. It's a hell of an attack. Like, it really is. And if they, if they go with Beliba and Dahoud behind them, it gives them a good platform. It's just about how solid they can be defensively. A lot of injuries at the moment, but some of them might actually lean in their favour. The, the Stupinum one is a big, big blow. And I really hope it's nothing serious and it's just more precaution than anything else. If they if they do play the four centre-backs, though, I mean, we've saw, well, especially against Liverpool, Beliba can do box-to-box things. Yeah, yeah, and so can Dahoud. Yeah, like they're both very, very high energy midfielders, and they're both really good on the ball. Um, and it, look, it helps that Sheffield United a aren't good, and b have so many injuries. No Basham, no Low, Ahmed Hodzic is a doubt. McBurney's a doubt. Brewster's out. Hammer is likely to miss out. Norrington Davies has been out all season. John Egan is out. Tom Davies is out, and Daniel Jebison is out. So he's been out all season as well. Um, he's out with an illness. That's not great. He's been out since summer with an illness, and we're in November now. Bloody hell! That that's not great. I'm I'm really hopeful that like it's obviously something serious, but I'm really hoping that kid can make a recovery because he's very very talented. Mm. Like, him and Archer as a long term front two is is probably the brightest spot of of thought for a Sheffield United fan right now. Um, this game is at Brighton, yeah. so I do expect Brighton. Oh, a young scored. When did Ansu Ansu Fati score? He scored against Ajax last night. I know scored against Ajax. He might have scored in the last European game as well. Um, either way, he's looking better. This game is in Brighton. I'm going to pick a Brighton win. I, I think they'll just have too much in attack for Sheffield United. So I'll go 
I'll go 3-1. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. As I said, I could probably see high scores there. Um, moving on to Liverpool against Brentford, Dave. Obviously, at Anfield, it makes it a bit different, but Liverpool have zero midfielders. And Brentford, maybe not their most exciting midfield, but we know it's industrious and it, it, it's competent, especially against those big teams. We've seen it mm. frustrate many a team uh, in the league, including Man City. Um so I don't think it's as straightforward as it, as it could be. Um, no, and Liverpool have been dreadful the last two games as well. Yeah. As well. yeah. No Gravenberg. Well, unlikely Gravenberg. Uh, no Basetic, no Jones, no McAllister, no Robertson, no Alcantara. So like you said, but bare bones in midfield. Um, it'll be Sabozlai Endo plus one is my guess. Um. But the positive for Liverpool is that Brentford are also really dealing with injuries. No Rico Henry, no Aaron Hickey, no Kevin Shadow. They're all out long term. Uh, all all till at least, well, Rico Henry till the summer, Shadow and Hickey till January at the earliest. Ivan Tony suspended. Damsgaard, De Silva and Baptiste all injured. Lewis Potter and Flecken are doubts. I guess Flecken will be okay because it was only a dead leg, but you never know. Um, There's no left-back available, so Janelt will probably have to play there again, which isn't ideal. Uh, unless Roarslev plays there and Ayer plays right-back. I don't like that because there's always those random lads who just mark Mo Salah like it's their last That's day the on thing. earth. It's, it's literally the, so weird. It's the best game of their careers. Every single time, there's some random fella who's normally n- not very good in his own position, gets launched in a left back and has the game of his life. Um, the midfield does concern me here because they'll go, like, they'll have Norgard and Jensen, and then either Janelt or Onyeka, depending if Janelt is left back. Mm hmm. Either way, it's a big, strong physical midfield against the Liverpool midfield that is going to be compromised. Like that third midfielder will either be Harvey Elliott or potentially Cody Gakbo. I know it's not going to happen, Dave, but if you're ever going to move Trent properly, this is the game to do it. Yeah. Trent on the right of the tree, Endo in the middle, Dominic on the left. Yeah. Gomez right back. See, what I'd actually do is I'd go for... Uh, we we did AI scouted this morning mm-hmm. and Carl Matchett suggested a four four two, and that's actually what I would do. Mm-hmm. I'd play Trent right, right side of midfield, Dominic and Endo in the middle, and then Diaz on the left in a, in a, a midfield four, and then yeah. Darwin and Salah up front, Gomez, Kanate, Van Dijk, and I'd actually play Luke Chambers at left back because Costa Simicus has been so poor. Like, I know he's been a backup, but the drop-off, Jesus. And, like, the thing is, Andy Robertson has not been particularly good for the last 20 months or so, and the drop-off is still staggering. So not only has Robertson declined significantly, so has Simicus, because a couple of years ago, he actually was quite decent. He's been atrocious this year. So I would rather play 
I'd rather play either Callum Scanlon or Luke Chambers, which is not not ideal. But I, I I I would rather do that, and then I would rather go with that four in midfield because I think the best way to hurt Brentford is actually to stretch them out a bit because they like to play a really compact game. Yeah, I think if you could get Trent to stay wide on the right. Diaz to stay wide on the left. You can start to pull those flanking midfielders out to deal with them because they're not going to let their fullbacks just take them 1v1 and leave two centre-backs 2v2 against Salah and Darwin. They won't do that. The fullbacks will have to stay tucked in. So what you'll either get is you'll get the flanking midfielders stretching out a bit and then their own wingers coming back to deal with our wide players, which in turn takes quite a load off our fullbacks and maybe gives them the opportunity to get forward. I I just, I think that's the best way to go about playing them. And to be honest, the more I think about it, the more I think Liverpool should be going to a 4-4-2 with Trent right side, Dominic left side and Alexis plus Curtis Jones when he's back fit as a double pivot. And then that front two. And then you've got, Diaz is like a bench option, rotation option on both wings. Jota and Gakbo is the rotation options in attack. Harvey Elliott suits that shape better as well. It doesn't suit Gravenberg all that well because he, he's not good in a double pivot. But maybe you just take him out of the team and you say, you know what, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on coaching you to play in a double pivot so that when oh, we need back to. Up the wing spots, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, he could be the backup to, to Trent, Trent or, or Dominic. If you, if you wanted, you could go that way with him either. Um, Liverpool need to do something in January. But they have, look, they're, they're exactly where I thought they'd be this at this point of the season. They're third in the league, which is, which is good. They're going to progress in the Europa League despite last night. They're doing well in the League Cup. They're exactly where I thought and hoped they'd be. So all things considered, I can't be too down about it. It's just the last two. Just the last two performances. The results aren't even aren't even what bother me. It's just the performance level has been so so abysmal. Yeah. Um I think they'll have enough to win this weekend though, especially at Anfield. So I'll go two one to Liverpool. Yep, it could be an interesting game. Um, be interesting to see how Liverpool tackle the midfield stuff. We know it'll be Elliot or Gakpo, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I believe this is the televised game. I have a different app open. Uh, where am I? I've scrolled too far down. It is the televised game. We have West Ham against Forest, Dave. Um, West Ham, obviously, a bit of a dodgy spell of, of form. Um, obviously, won last night in the uh, Europa League. Um David Moyes, he came into the season with a lot of pressure. If the up and down form, and if it's more down than up, continues, I'm not saying he'd be likely be sacked, but I think there was already reports of him like not getting any chance of an extension. But mm. it, it may hurry up the decision. Obviously, international break. I'm not saying very unlikely he gets sacked this international break, but January is only around the corner, and that's when sacks do happen as well. It is very much so. And like they've lost three in a row in the league. They've no wins in four. They are currently sitting in 12th in the Premier League, which, you know, when we consider that it's not all that long ago, they were doing well. Like we were actually talking about how, how surprisingly well they were doing. 
considering how poor they'd been last season. I know they won the the conference league, but like their league form was abysmal last season. But like after four games, after after three games, they were second, which was mad. Then they were fourth after four, and then they were sort of sixth and seventh for a few weeks, which was about right. Like that's kind of where I thought that's kind of the the the, the ceiling on this team is sort of sixth or seventh. But now they're twelfth, and it's not just the three recent defeats; it's five defeats in the last seven, and the only win was home to Sheffield United. Now, mm-hmm. losing home to City, you can excuse. Losing away to Liverpool, you can excuse. The two-two draw with Newcastle, there was a bit of bad fortune in that game for them, but they got hammered by Villa. Like it wasn't a competitive game. They got beaten at home by Everton, which is a dreadful, dreadful result. And then they were 2-1 up away to Brentford and managed to lose. Now, look, it's an away game, so it is what it is, and Brentford are a good team. So you don't want to hit them too hard on that one. But still, when you're ahead in a game like that, you kind of want to be getting out of there with at least a point. The Everton one stands out as a really bad result. And then we look at, you know, in Europe, they obviously won last night, but they'd lost the week before in, in or two weeks before in Greece. So it's, it's eight defeats in the last, sorry, it's six defeats in the last nine games, which really isn't good. I don't think he'll, I, I don't think he'll go in this window for certain. I think there's two managers that need to be really concerned, maybe three. Iraola, maybe. But if I'm Vincent Company or I'm Heckenbottom, I'm probably considering the fact that I won't have a job come the game after this one. Um, I think one of them will probably go. It'd be interesting to see, do they go full Brexit or do they, like, does Graham Potter fix anything for Burnley? For Burnley, no. No, for Burnley, I, I think you kind of need to go the Brexit route. Mm. problem for them is they don't have any strikers they've no I've said this before they've no lead centre back no one back there that you're going to trust to organise and get everybody in, in the right shape and keep them focused and they've no one who does you know the putting of the ball into the opposition net they just bought loads of wingers and I'm not really sure what Vincent Company was thinking when he went about his business in in the summer window he signed like a lot of talented players, a lot of good players, but didn't address that. Didn't address the def- like. Didn't bring in the right centre back. I'm not sure they they're fully formed in midfield either. I know they got Sander Berger in, and he's been a bit disappointing. But I think one more in midfield was definitely needed too. So look, we'll see what happens. They'll 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 spend in January. We can be certain of that. It's just a matter of whether he spends. Um. But back to Moyes, I think he's fine for now. Mm-hmm. I think January definitely is a possibility if things continue to go as poorly for them. Um, this is a favourable fixture, though, and they do have a favourable little run coming here away to Burnley, uh, who can't win anything at home. Back at Tapol in the champ in the in the Europa League, they should win. Home to Palace, they should win. Away to Spurs, that'll be tougher obviously. Then away to Fulham, the possibility of a win in that one, home to Freiburg, home to Wolves, and then it gets tough again. But this is a little run here where, other than that Spurs game, 
you'd fancy them to take something from every game. And I think the key for them here is to just, even if you don't win every game, just try and go unbeaten for five or six games. Try and get into the habit of not losing. The only injury issue they have this weekend is Kurt Zuma. They had hoped he might be back for last night. Uh, He certainly didn't start. Did he come off the bench? Uh, did he come off the bench? The answer is no. Was he on the bench? The answer is also no. So he might miss out this weekend. Um, Forests are forests, so they have loads of injuries. Uh, Hudson Adoy is out. Felipe is out. Origi's out. Wood is out, and Montiel is out. So actually, to be fair, for Forest, that's that's quite good. Um. West Ham are home. I'm going to pick the home side to win. I'll go. I'll go I'll go two one. What I, I I didn't see their game, um, but I'm looking at the the lineup, and they went with the Kudus right, Paqueta ten, Ben Rama left, and Bowen up front attack. Oh, and I, I'd like to see more of that because I think that's a very exciting front four. Um, they didn't even bring Antonio off the bench, which is positive, and Max Cornet is back as well, which is a real positive because. He can fit into any four, any one of those four positions. I forgot he existed. Yeah, I mean, you, you would because he was really poor last season for them and then he's barely played this season. So, <clears throat> but it gives them another option. You've got Fernals, you've got Antonio, you've got Ings off the bench. Um, so that's all positive for them. So, look, hopefully they, they, they sort themselves out and they can get a, get a win here. Um, I think they need one in the league. I don't think... I don't think four defeats in a row will go down all that well with the powers to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to the last game and probably the biggest, well, is the biggest game of the uh, weekend in the Premier League. At least we have Chelsea against Man City, Dave. Um, I mean, easy, you could easily say and probably will say Man City should just dominate this. But obviously Man City will dominate possession, which probably suits Chelsea a lot more because we've, well, we've seen the teams they've slipped up against this season and the teams they've done well against Arsenal, it's Tottenham, the lads who dominate possession against them. So if they can catch City on the counter-attack, maybe goals there, but keeping out this City team, Haaland against Thiago Silva, and who the he- who's been playing next to Thiago Silva? Uh, bit a bit of Desassi, uh, bit, bit, bit of Badi Ashile. There's been a little bit of Levi Colwell, though he's playing a bit oh, more left that. back. It, it all depends on whether Reese James plays. Because if James plays, then Colwell seems to be the left back choice. If James doesn't play, then Desassi goes to right back, and Colwell plays centre back next to Silva, and Kukurea comes in. So. Uh, Reese James is is fit. He's meant to be playing, so I assume it'll be him, DeSassi, Silva, and Colwell as a back four, which isn't great. Uh, it's not dreadful, but it's not great. It sounds like Haaland fodder. It does sound like Haaland fodder, very much so. Um, Chelsea's like everything's Haaland fodder. To be fair, but he's it? been he hasn't been great. I don't think he's been particularly good this season. I know he's scoring a bunch of goals. Like, I know that. But I don't think he's been great this season at all, to be honest. I think... I don't think he's been as terrifying. He scored six goals last weekend. He didn't score. Yeah. And he he didn't play... He came off at half-time, didn't he? 
yes, he's got a he's got a bit of a knock. Uh, like he's still got fifteen goals in sixteen games, which is overly ridiculous. But he has been stat padding a little bit. Like you know, he got two against young boys. Uh, he scored two against young boys away. So there's his four Champions League goals. He didn't score didn't score against Red Star or Leipzig. Um, who'd be kind of I suppose to, well Leipzig are obviously the other good team in that group, but like if we look at even the league, um he scores two against Burnley, he doesn't score against Newcastle, he scores against Sheffield United, uh he scored a hat trick against Fulham when they were a mess, and obviously there was some shenanigans with the officials in that game. He scored against West Ham. Scored against Forest, but then he didn't score against Wolves. He didn't score against Arsenal, obviously, because they didn't score in that game. He scored against Brighton. Uh, he scored two against United, and then didn't score last weekend. Like they haven't played a hard run of games this year in the league, but he had. I don't know. There's just. His performances don't impress me. Like I was, I was talking to somebody about this in relation to Harry Kane. Because Sturridge obviously talked about this at the weekend when he did Monday Night Football. Um, as a goal scorer, I think Kane matches him stride for stride. I think if you put Harry Kane in this City team, he would score a stupid amount of goals. And if you look at what he's done since moving to Bayern, he's got 15 goals in 19 games. Sorry, 19 goals in 15 games, 15 in 10 in the league. And if you look at Haaland's Bundesliga numbers, he scored 86 and 89 in his two and a half seasons there. He was never as lethal in the Bundesliga as Kane has been so far. Like, he was a goal a game, or just a a shade under, Mm. but he wasn't... Like, Kane in the Bundesliga is scoring three goals every two games. A a goal and a half a game. I was listening to Rafa Hodgenstein. I can't say his second name. Hodgenstein. He's like, I think, didn't Lewandowski break Gerd Muller's record like three years ago or something? Yes. He's like on course to beat that by about 10 or 15. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, look, Kane should be better. Kane is 30 years of age. He's mm. bang in the middle of his peak. Erling Haaland is only 23. He's only a kid. So you'd expect that he will go up several levels uh, as his career progresses. But Kane matches him as a goal scorer. And when you look at their all-round per- performance level and what else they can do for their team, I, I just don't think it's all that close. Kane every single week is 8 out of 10 as a bare minimum. He's a great hold-up player. He's an outrageously good passer of the ball. As an all-round player, I just think Harry Kane is streets ahead of Erling Haaland, who, outside of his ability to score goals, is very, very average. Like, last season... At some point during the summer, I went and looked at that and I went back kind of and watched a bunch of City games on Scout, which is, is cool because it's only an hour for a game and you can you can fast forward through a lot of stuff. But like 
Haaland probably had as many four out of tens as he had eight out of ten or better. Like he had four out of ten performances where he scored a hat trick. You know, he he can be dreadful and score. That's why he's so dangerous. But this season, I feel like even he's having to do that more. He's having really poor performances and then he's grabbing a goal or they're getting a penalty and he's scoring. I just don't feel like he's playing particularly well. Now, it it hasn't affected City. They're still top of the league and they're top of their Champions League group. And all they need him to do is score the goals. They, They seem to have figured out that they don't need to involve him as much they kind of need to do what City do and then have Haaland on top of that. Is that like, probably why they signed Doku, though? Because obviously he's a bit more direct than Grealish, for instance. I think so. I do think so. I think Doku gives them a more explosive nature, which is something that they lacked a little bit last year. And when it's Doku and Foden or Doku and Bernardo mm-hmm. on the wings, you're getting a balance of, of explosiveness and create, creativity. And obviously, when it's Bernardo, he just he gives you that extra little bit of control as well. And he's he's just such a good player. Now Alvarez is, is playing well this season, and that's been a big boost for them. And the other factor is they don't have KDB, and he'll come back in, and that will be a big help to Haaland because yeah, ha- like there's no one in that city team that's like you would say is a great provider of goals. Bernardo's a good provider of goals. He's a great player. But he's sort of one of those great players that's sort of really, really good at everything. And that's what makes him great. There's no weak point in this game. He's not your fulcrum, though. No, he's not. He's he's a complimentary player. Um, Foden can be a good provider of goals, but then sometimes he just gets quite selfish. Doku can be a little bit selfish at times as well. Grealish, I think they hoped would be a big-time facilitator, but it turns out Jack Grealish doesn't actually do a whole lot of anything other than fall over and win free kicks. Haaland sort of needs that great provider to get the most out of him. And last year, when he really took off and started just decimating the league, it was because him and KDB immediately clicked. And they figured out two or three simple passes that KDB could play with his eyes closed, and Haaland would just anticipate them and make the run. Or he'd make the run and KDB would just put it on his on his on a plate from. Without Kevin in the team this year, Haaland isn't getting the same level of service. So maybe that's why I think he's not playing as well, because he's just not involved as much. Like De Bruyne would pick the ball up and his first thought would be, Where's Haaland? Now, like Foden picks the ball up, his first thought is, I'm just gonna beat this full back and see what happens from there. Doku is, I'm going to beat this fullback, then I'll beat him again, and then I'll go <laughs> find three of his friends and I'll beat them too, and then we'll see what we're going to do with the ball. Bernardo's kind of thought process is, what's the right play here? Not what's the home run, what's the right play here? And it's just, Haaland, I think, is 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 not as involved, but it's probably been the best thing for City because it's getting more out of the other players like Alvarez having a better season, Foden's having a better season, Bernardo's playing really well. Grealish isn't playing well. He's the one that's dropped off after that good run he had from February till the end of the season. 
Um, but Doku's added a new dimension to them. Kovacic has added a new dimension to them. Nunes has added a new, new dimension. You know, his ability to carry the ball through the phases. And it's it's almost like, it's like Man City and Haaland rather than Man City with Haaland. So they've got this dual threat now that they didn't have before where they're now capable of scoring a bunch of goals without him. And he can just kind of stand about and not do a whole lot if if that's what it comes to. But when they need him, he's like the ultimate plan B. So uh, for the team, it's working out better. I just don't think he's playing particularly well, but they don't really care. As long as he scores goals, Pep Guardiola won't care how badly he plays. Um, Because they've got it like they can control games with 10 men, which is a very scary thing for everybody else. Um, Chelsea's injury report is getting better than it has been. Uh, Fafana is out, Chilwell's out, Lavi is out, and Kunku's out. Brogia is out, Chalab is out, and Chuck Wemeke is out. Um, That's better than the 11 and 12 they had early in the year. For City, no KDB, no Sergio Gomez, no Akanji, and no John Stones, who is injured once again. Um, I still think they'll be fine. Mm. Now, it does leave them a little bit light in defence. So, I, I, I assume Aki or Gradiol will start at centre-back next to Diaz, and the other one will start at left-back. Which is still going to be really strong. Like, let's be fair. Walker it's Diaz. It's unfair. It's unfair, isn't it? But you know what's funny, right? In in a in a in a time where we're seeing all these different teams invert the fullback, which Guardiola was doing ten years ago at Bayern. Yeah. With with Philippe Lam. Um he's now playing four glorified centre backs. And a holding just, midfielder. Do you reckon he just gets like a random tactic generator and just sees if he can win a league with it? Yeah, something? literally. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's probably because he is like to be fair to, to Pep, he is like very studied in the history of the game. So he's probably written out every single tactical platform that's ever existed, and he probably writes them all on a piece of paper, puts them in a hat. And he goes home to his wife and his kids and he says, right, everyone take one. And they all take one out and he says, right, this is what we're doing this season. We're going to try and mould all of this into... 2008 Stoke. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, like like Walker is, at this point in his career, he's more kind of right side centre back in a three, that kind of player. Aki and Gvardiol, left-side centre-back in a three. So you've got those two at full-back, and Diaz and whichever other, whichever one of the two left-backs isn't playing left-back. And he's just like, well, this will do. And then you've got Rodri. He's gonna, we're going to defend with five, and then we're going to attack with four, and then we're going to have Haaland. And maybe this is how he makes up for the fact that they don't, rely on Haaland to be involved in the play by just being, like, they are what have they considered? Eight league goals? Eight league goals this season. And, like, they've had injuries in defence as well. Like, last season we saw him move John Stones into centre centre midfield next to Rodri. 
at times with the back four behind them, more often with a back three behind them, but that's still five defensive players. And Stones was would drop back into centre back when when required. Mm-hmm. Like this, he's defending with five. Everyone else is trying to defend with like three or four, or in Liverpool's case, two. One and a half. <laughs> you know, you've got Virgil and Canate, and and then the left back, left centre back slash left winger if he can is be kind honest. of a half defensive player. There's no defensive midfielder. Liverpool are defending with two and a half. City are defending with five. And yet, City are still scoring more goals than Liverpool, as well as conceding less. Um, almost like defence is important. It's almost like it is. It's almost like when Liverpool were great, they had the best defence in Europe. And they went away from that for some reason. And it's a really strange thing. But it is what it is. Um Chelsea will be confident after their win over Spurs. Obviously, they drew with Arsenal as well. But then in between that, they got beaten by Brentford. And if we're all honest, like the reason they beat Spurs was because Spurs lost the discipline. It wasn't because they were good. It was because Spurs lost the discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicholas Jackson got a hat-trick despite turning in one of the worst displays I've ever seen by anybody ever. Very Erling Haaland-esque of him. It was... It was a Haaland hat-trick. He played dreadfully and he came off with a hat-trick. And in in three months, there'll be Chelsea kids on Twitter regaling about the night that Nicholas Jackson turned in a Drogba X-esque performance at Spurs. Because, well, most of them don't watch the games anyway. They just look at YouTube. And they'll just forget what actually happened and they'll look at the fact that he scored three goals and decide he must have been brilliant. Um, I don't think he's going to have the same type of fortune this weekend against City. I think City will will win this game. I, I, I think Spurs can cause them some trouble, though. Like, Sterling is playing, yeah, I would say, really well. The midfield is starting to function a little bit better with, with Enzo and Caicedo. I still don't like the Gallagher piece of it. Mudrick, I, 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 I think it might be time to just you know give up the ghost on that one. Cut bit loan to front. Yeah, like I definitely think they're going to need to loan him out somewhere where he can develop, and they don't have to kind of suffer for it. It's well, not just. It, it sounds like you either loan him to Strasbourg or wait till Ansu Fati goes back to Barca next summer. And then see if Brighton fancy. See if, yeah, like if Matoma were to leave, see if see if Deserby take him, and see because, like the Matoma role and the way Brighton play, where they kind of tilt everything to the right side, build up down there with you know when he was fit with Solly March and Gross and uh, Veltman as the recycler, and then. Last season, obviously, it was Alexis and it was because Caicedo this season has been a mixed batch in midfield. But you you kind of try and tilt the field so that the defence shifts across to their left, your right. And then you isolate a fullback and maybe one midfielder against Estupinen and Matoma. And you back your two to beat their two, 2v2. And it does feel like that's the sort of role and tactical setup that would suit Mudrick a lot more. 
the other issue they have at Chelsea is there isn't a fullback who can overlap him because none of the fullbacks can keep pace with him. Matson might be the best option, but Potch doesn't trust him as a fullback. Mm. But like, if you could just start to, if you could isolate him on a fullback with space to go inside or behind, I do think that's how you could start to get something out of him just by simplifying his game and saying, look, this is all we want you to do. Just beat that man and put the ball across. Don't worry about anything else. Beat the man, put it across. Over and over and over again. Then you can work in, you know, slipping in the fullback or cutting back inside or whatever. But for now, like, I mean, did you see the goal where Jackson scored? Mudrick was beside him. And Jackson clearly wanted to pass it to him. And the gobshite ran offside and wouldn't get back onside, continued to run along an offside position while shouting for the ball. Like, it's one thing not getting it right in terms of your technical ability, your decision-making. Your footballing IQ can't be that low. Can't be that low. Like, there's no way you've become a professional footballer and you're that thick. So someone needs to have a quick word with them. I'm going to pick a City win here. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 3-1 to City. Haaland against Thiago Silva just just seems like it might be a little bit unfair. Yeah, Chelsea haven't beaten Man City since 2021, which is uh, quite a long See, Tuchel used to do really well against Pep. Mm. I don't don't know Pochettino. Let's have a Let's uh, Pochettino... They won three in a row in 2021. Including a Champions League final. Champions League final, yeah, of course. Uh, Right. Pochettino versus Pep head-to-head. So it looks like they've played a good few times. So obviously Pep was at Barca and Poch was at Espanyol. The first time they met was a 0-0 draw. Second time Barca won 3-2. Then Espanyol won, so we're 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Then Barca won, 2-1-1. Two, one, and one. A draw, 2-1-2. Two, two. A Barca win, 3-1-2. A Barca win, 4-1-2. Another draw, 4-1-3. Um, another Barca win, Barca win, 5-1-3. Then in their first match in England, Tottenham won, so 5-1. No, 5 one, no, five, 6 I, I've lost. 5-2-3. Five two three, yeah, five two three. Um a draw five two four, a city win six two four, a city win seven two four, a city win eight two four, a Spurs win eight three four, a city win nine three four, another city win ten three four, and a draw ten three five. This is at PSG now. No, they now we're at PSG. Another Pep win. So 11-3-4. 11-3-5, sorry. 11-3-5. I've missed a draw there. Uh, another City win, 12-3-5. Another City win, 13-3-5. A PSG win, 13-4-5.
Sorry, it's twelve four five. Sorry, I, I counted one twice. It's twelve four five. It's not great for Poch, but it is Pep, and he's always had the deck stacked very strongly in his favor. Yeah, a lot, a lot of those games were Espanol, to be fair. Espanol, even at Spurs, like the, the yeah. financial disparity. Fair enough at PSG, the finances were about the same, but he had three lads up front who could not be asked doing anything. Literally just didn't do any defensive work at all. And one of them only turned up half the time anyway, because he must have had a, like a 20-hour contract or something in Neymar. Um so yeah, I mean, look, I, I expect I expect City to win. Chelsea have been really poor. They're tenth in the league for a reason. And City are City are the best team in the country by by a considerable margin. So we'll go three one to City. Yep, yep, I'd think similar. And uh, that is the last game before the international break of doom. Yeah, yeah. How how, how much fun. How much fun is it to have a third international break already? Right, we will leave it there. Folks, enjoy your weekends. Don't do anything foolish. And we will see you on Monday. Next week, we'll be running Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. Uh, I have an appointment on Wednesday, which will render me unavailable on Thursday, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, not ideal, but it is what it is. Um Yeah, thank you to Guy, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.